0: Rosalie here. I am the little helper of the Live Feisty Media podcasts. The Iron Women Podcast, I think, is one of the best podcasts in the whole entire world. I want to be a professional triathlete when I grow up because it makes us healthy and strong to do lots of triathlons. I also think I might want to be a hairdresser. Just saying. You can help Iron Women grow by using the codes Iron Women when you order from our sponsors. It really helps. Those sponsors are Crave Jerky, F2C Nutrition, Sound Probiotics, Coffee Method, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen. Go to com to find all codes and links. And now, introducing your hosts, Alyssa Kadeski and Haley Churra.
1: I couldn't be more excited to talk to you today because congratulations on your big win. But I just, I have to know. So you ran this race. You won this race yesterday, Coeur 70.3. You hopped in the car this morning. Now we're podcasting. How are you doing? Are you, are you alive still?
2: Uh, I am. I'm more than alive. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very happy about my race. It was a great race. And I did get home in time to, brew a quick cup of, of coffee. I don't normally drink coffee in the afternoons, but for, for this kind of thing to podcast post race, post drive, it helps to have coffee method on your side. So I did the iron woman blend today, went for the lighter roast. Maybe I'll try the feisty blend for tomorrow morning. If I'm uh, if I need a slower, you know, break into my day, but no, thank you. I'm excited. to Be on so quick and, you know, get right back to work. Well, I think with a win, I hope you get a few slow
1: mornings to kind of soak it in with a few sleep ins and everything, but just tell me, so there's a couple of questions, points I want to bring up myself, and then you can tell all of your stories from the race, but one, true or false, you had the fastest swim time, male or female
2: of the day. Ah, uh-huh, True. Um, That one I, I was a little surprised by, but happy nonetheless, and one of the best parts of that was actually... At the awards, they brought the pro women up first. And then after that, I did the pro men and they announced that Andrew Starkowitz had the fastest pro male swim, (laughs) the fastest swim in his category, not the fastest overall swim, because that was myself. And, and I did, there's, you know, anytime that you can rib Andrew Starkowitz you take it, any chance. And so we did, we had a little back and forth and he he was very gracious in his, uh, in his swimming defeat, even though we weren't even in the same exact start. But yeah, you, you, know, you gotta enjoy that time while you can. And then the other one was the top amateur male. They also announced that he had the top male swim time, but not the fastest overall swim time. And the best part of that is that the athlete is actually Dylan Gillespie, who is an athlete that I coach and swim with. And so he told the announcer that it was his coach who uh, had the fastest sometimes. time. So I, I owe that you know, announcer like a 20 or something. Cause I was like, I couldn't pay you to say all these wonderful things about me. It was, you know, it was probably one of my best award ceremonies ever. I'm like, this is, I couldn't have uh, scripted this better. It was, it was a fun day. That's awesome. You're just having barriers broken all over the place in Coeur d'Alene. I love it. And my- I think, Oh, go on. I think the cold water. I think the cold water is like, it was pretty cold. It was like 63 degrees. And I think I thrive in really cold water. I think that might've helped. Well, the second thing I want to confirm
1: is that true or false, it is basically your MO to run the race and then stay in your kit for the awards. (laughs)
2: I think I've done that two years in a row and it makes for some great podium pictures at the end when everyone else has gone home and showered and they are all in like these like hair done makeup like they looked wonderful right the other women on the podium looked wonderful and here I am still covered in the apple cider that we poured on each other at the finish line in my kit and um I did. I, I just hung out because I had a lot of athletes racing. I had three athletes racing and a couple of their friends from Bozeman. And so it just, the time just compresses. Right. And I, um, you know, I was like cheering for people and then hanging out with people and then getting food. And then one woman at the pro panel the day before had actually asked that, you know, if I could, if I would go back and hand out medals And this is something I've never done before. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to do that. But I told her, I was like, if I win, I'll do it. And honestly, at that point, I wasn't really expecting to win. So when I did win, I was like, well, I told Margaret I'd be there. So... I went back. Unfortunately, Margaret won her age group and was finished way before I got myself back there. But I took myself and, um, a couple of my Aaron and Vanessa, who are my friends and athletes, they came with me. And then Danielle Dingman, who was fifth somehow, you know, I was like, come with me. And we all went back and handed out medals. And I've never done that before, but it was so much fun. And it also gave me so much respect for the volunteers because there's like an art to it and they are good and i just never realized when i've come up the you know across the line and you get that medal like what goes into that and how hard they're working and how observant they are and if nothing else i was like kudos to the finish line volunteers because it's not an easy job but it is really fun that's awesome i'm sure it was a very
1: special moment <clears throat> for people once they realized that Haley Chur was putting on their medal. Um, but tell me, see, so did you really led wire to wire? What, how did this go? What were you thinking the whole time? And I guess how did it,
2: you know, like, what's it like to be in the front for the whole day? Well, I, you know, I, we mentioned last week that, you know, I think one of the mailbag questions was like the races that I had kind of planned for this year or trained for. And, so I didn't really know what to expect because it has been a little bit of a tough start to the year for me race wise. But I guess you just tell yourself like you've still done that training and that's still there. And, and I, I just wanted to give myself a shot. So the whole day, like I, I didn't know, you know, to be honest, like there were many moments where I thought maybe I was going too hard and that I was going to blow up and, I knew with the race dynamics that I needed a lead out of the swim because you have people like Jenna Nett, who's the world record holder in the Ironman bike. You know, she set that world record in Texas and Sarah Piampiano, uh, Lindsay Corbin, who are fantastic runners, Romy Palacios, Belena, who we interviewed a couple weeks ago from Argentina was there and she's an incredible runner. So I knew that like the the rest of the field and we talked about, there's 22 women on that start list. And so I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna go with this as long as I can and hope I make it across the finish line before I completely blow up. And luckily, I did. The last couple of miles were a little ugly, but luckily it wasn't too much more than that. But no, I'm I'm super happy and it does it gives me um a little bit of validation that the training what you know has been working. And also, I think I have to keep setting those bedtime alarms. That was <laughs> gonna I be my next I question. Need to get myself- <laughs> I know, right? Like, I'm like, I'm like, I need bedtime alarms. I I don't know around the world. I I
1: think, Kaylee, everyone's going to start doing that because now you've shown proven success with the bedtime alarm. So I think it's going to become a thing.
2: I, yeah, I reckon I highly recommend it. It's harder than you think, but I think it might work. Well, congratulations.
1: It was so, so great to see that news and just know that you had your day. I like can't even put into words how excited I was for you. So congratulations. I'm super pumped for you. And I think you were well deserving and it was definitely your time. So fun to see.
2: Ah, thank you. And I will add that in the pro meeting, they actually did bring up that there were equal numbers of men and women on the start list. And you know, they made a big deal about that. And then I got to expand on that in the pro panel the day before the race. And then I actually incorporated a little bit into my winner's speech. Cause they told me I had 15 minutes to talk. And I was like, you realize I hold a podcast. I can definitely talk for 15 minutes, but, um, I didn't, but I did, I did say, you know, there were 22 women and or same number of men and women on this pro start list this at this race. And I got a roar of applause and that was very cool. I thought that was, um, you know, really neat. So it's, it's cool to be part of that. I will say that was very, and I met a lot of, I met a lot of podcast listeners as well. So shout out to our listeners who are in Coeur d'Alene. Thanks for coming up to me, the people who did, and I loved meeting you. So thanks for listening as well. Yeah. And if
1: any of those listeners happen to have any photos of your speech or even video, we would love to see that. So send that our way.
2: Yes. How's training in Vermont.
1: Well, Haley, so I've been doing with my training this thing where it's pretty common, I think, with big run builds. You do kind of three weeks on, one week rest week to recover, let all the work sink in. So I just wrapped up my second big week. So I am rolled into my last big build week. And it's really, you know, I'll do a little bit of a build before I actually go for the record, but it's really like the last big, big chunk. And I am feeling it. I have to say I'm in that stage where it's tough every single morning to get out the door. And then as soon as I start going, you know, I'm, I feel better and better, but it's tough. I mean, yesterday I did a 25 mile long run and it was actually point to point. And so I knew which section I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to go park my car and then get a ride up to where I wanted to run from and just run back to my car. And so to do that, I had to hire a taxi. And so I really, you know, you're in rural Vermont. And so, and you know my luck with taxis. So I looked on Google first thing, you know, I'm Googling like taxis around Killington and I see one pops up and the reviews for it were all very positive. And they, they said something along the lines of, I, I vividly remember one review that was like, yeah, he was totally cool. He let me bring my dog. He stopped at the liquor store for us. Like he was up for anything, you know? So I was like, this is my guy. He's going to be totally up to just take me to the trailhead. Like he's going to know the deal, right? That this is like, I don't need... Super official cab, right? So I call the number, the guy answers, and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I'll call you back. So he like calls me back and he's like, Yeah, I can totally do that. And he's like, 60 bucks. It's about an hour of driving. I was like, All right, for rural Vermont, that's like pretty much the going rate, right? So I'm like, Whatever, like I'll enjoy every minute of this long run. So then he texts me Saturday, so the day before my run, and he's like, Hey, is it okay if I pick you up in my work truck? And then he goes, it's a nice work truck. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, what have I gotten myself into? And, of course, I mean, I needed to do this. You know, I'm, like, dead set on getting my run done. So I text back, sure. (laughs) See you at 630, you know. So... Haley, I get to the trailhead and I'm a little early and I'm like, okay. This sounds
2: like hitchhiking. I sounds like you're paying someone to
1: hitchhike, but okay, go ahead, go ahead. So I'm like, this is, you know, I mean, there's no one else at the trailhead at 630. And then right, actually he was early, right on time, this large truck rolls in and he kind of gets out of the car and I was like, Shane? And he's like, yeah, I was like, all right. So I got in the car and we're driving and it's a 30, 45 minute drive. So we're driving and I start looking around and I'm like, man, I... I like have gotten really turned around and I actually said that out loud. Like, i I'm really turned around. I don't know exactly where we are. And oh he, he goes, he goes, Oh, like, sorry, I took you the back way. And I think oh he could God. see I was scared. But anyway, Haley, I missed the important part. As I got into his truck and I started talking to him, he tells me he's not a taxi driver. <laughs> he tells me he actually works full-time for Spartan races, like building the obstacles. What? And so I was like, I was like, I don't know why I called you. He's like, no, it happens. My number's like online. And he's like, and sometimes I pick up, like I, you know, I used, I think he used to drive taxis years ago and his number has just stayed on the internet as a a taxi service. He's not a taxi driver anymore. So he made 60 bucks for about an hour of work. And did you,
2: did you get there? Did oh, yeah. you, I mean, you're still totally here. Fine. You were yep. not kidnapped. I'm kind of glad I didn't hear this story before I seeing you or like talking to you because I probably would have assumed the worst, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Alyssa, that, that, I feel like $60 was more than generous for your hitchhike. I know, with but I've, I've arranged some
1: other taxis for more official services for some upcoming runs and that is pretty much the going rate. Right. So at least he didn't totally scam me and you know, Vermonters. They're pretty nice people, Haley. So I got where I needed to go. And in the end, I guess that's, that's great. Yeah.
2: just I just start doing that. I just put like a random taxi service. Like I'm not Uber, I'm not Lyft. I'm not a taxi, but I'll give you a ride. If you really need <laughs> it, you'll pay me that. Like, you know, this week I might have a little extra time. So if anyone in Bozeman needs a ride, $60 an hour, I'll drive you there. Oh, well, Haley, but anyway, so I'm going into my
1: last week. I'm pretty much brain dead except for all the running, but it's all going well. Not a whole lot other to say, but who knows? Maybe next week I'll have another good um, transportation story for you. But this week, Haley, we did get a mailbag question come in. So are you ready for this? This comes in from Alex, and Alex is asking if we have any suggestions when they start to look for a tri-bike. So fit is critical. So I am worried a certain brand will be less suitable for my fit. And is that a legitimate concern? Or can most bikes, assuming the frame is the right size, be fit to me? And I'm assuming Alex is a female, but I could be wrong. Alex could be a male. So we'll leave that either way. Well, the good
2: thing is bikes are not gender specific. And I don't think bike fit is gender specific, but I think Yes. I mean, that different brands are like different geometry and even the sizing can be different. Like I know I've ridden a size like extra small in one brand and a size medium in another. So I don't even think you can necessarily go with frame size. I would say if you are like looking, you haven't bought a bike yet, you don't have anything to go with, like, you know, ask around, find a reputable bike fitter and maybe start there. Cause sometimes bike fitters actually have like fit bikes that they can adjust and then they might be able to give you some like coordinates that, and tell you, you know, these brands might be good for your price range. So if your price range is, you know, $10,000 and your price range is $3,000, it might be a different brand. So I would just say like, you know, that would be my suggestion on where to start. Like if you, if you really want to, you know, make sure that you're, you know, only looking at brands that would fit you.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, um, just to add typically with brands frame size you like you can find something to fit you a lot of times the like non-adjustable parts come with the arrow bars that you choose and that setup so that's almost where you should be like super careful and definitely be talking to someone like a fitter or someone at your bike shop that you trust to be helping you maybe get especially with your first try bike a setup up front that is quite adjustable so that as you get more used to a tri bike and you develop in the sport and you want to, you know, get lower in your position and things like that, you have flexibility to do that, but you're not necessarily forced into that from the get go with your first bike. And also I always challenge people to ride test, ride at least four bikes before they buy one, because it's mm-hmm. so tempting when you go in and you want a try bike and you're like ready to commit and you're ready to spend for one. And you just want that nice new shiny bike in your house. And I know it is so hard to fight the temptation just to, like, hop on a bike, take it for a loop, and be like, this is it. This feels so much faster. But, like, give yourself time and set that limit to yourself and be like, I'm just going to go ride four different ones and take, you know, a week, two weeks, something like that to really think about it and sleep on it and, may- and go back the next day after – you know, maybe you've done workouts and stuff and your body's fitting a bike a little bit different and you want to see how it feels that day because the worst is to impulse buy with something that big and something that you'll spend that much time with and to not feel 100% perfect about it. But hopefully you have someone at your local shop that you trust or a bike fitter you can trust or someone even in your tri-club that, again, that you can trust and is going to help you not be impulsive and to find what's really right for you.
2: So that is good advice. And I would also add, you know, a good bike fitter, should be able to work independent of brand. You know, some bike shops only carry certain brands and so they might steer you in that direction, but a good bike fitter should, you know, if you can get a bike fit, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to get the bike there and you might even be able to find a used bike, you know, that would fit you. And so you don't necessarily like have to buy, we've talked about this all the time, but you don't have to buy new. Sometimes it is good to you know, find a great deal on a used bike. And yeah, if you know, like your fit coordinates and have some guidance again, ask around someone, you know, is going to have a reputable fitter that, um, in your area who will give you some good advice. I agree. And so
1: Haley, I think we're ready to introduce our interviewee for the week. Last week, the Outspoken Summit announced their first four speakers that they will be bringing to the summit in Tempe, Arizona in late November, early December. And one of them is Ann Head. And so Anne was a professional triathlete in the 1980s, which is always fun for us to hear about. And she was an integral part of Head Cycling from 1984 until today when she is now CEO. And she will be coming to speak at the summit as well. And so she gives us a lot of information about all of these things, Haley. And I just love chatting with her. And we'll share this interview with you now.
0: We are grateful to be supported by Crave Jerky, Coffee Message, F2C Nutrition, Sound Probiotics, Rudy Project, and Smash Fest Queen.
1: Hi, Anne. Welcome to Iron Women. Thanks so much for coming on today.
3: Oh my, I'm so excited. I am ready to talk about whatever you ladies would like to hear today.
1: Well, get ready because we have a lot of topics to discuss with you actually. So we'll just kind of start at the beginning then. And what I would love to talk about first is the early days of head cycling. And were you involved in starting the company in the very earliest days? What were those days like? And kind of what made you and Steve think that you wanted to even start making wheels to begin with?
3: You know, I've been asked this question so many times, but I never get tired of telling our story. So I think it's an amazing love story, actually. So I was a young girl in my, oh my gosh, I think I was 20. I had always... You know, had this athletic ability. I wasn't—I I wouldn't say I was great at any sport, but I always knew that I had to exercise. So, I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, which is very hilly, uh, very cold, and I think it—it it gave me more of an inner strength than other places for training because you—you uh, you had to training the elements, you know, Minnesota is very cold. And in the middle of the winter, you know, to go outside and and be athletic when it's 20 below, you have to have the strength to want to even get outside. So, you know, I think back in those early days, when I was just coming out of, of high school and starting college, and I saw that iconic finish that Julie Moss did, in the Ironman, I put my, my schooling on hold, and I thought that would be a dream to do that race. So I drove my Little Plymouth Champ down to Texas, and back in the early 80s, it was the Bud Light Triathlon Series. And that's really the only way you could berth a spot into the Hawaiian Ironman So the very first triathlon I did on that level, I won. I was like, I couldn't believe I won a Bud Light triathlon race. And that gave me the birth to get into the race. But, you know, I was kind of the starving college student who had decided that I was going to put that on hold. So I really didn't have any money. And it was a small community here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And a friend said, there's this guy named Steve Head. He owns this bike shop down on Grand Avenue. I bet you if you went and asked him for some help, he'd give you something. So, you know, there I was, 20 years old, and I walked into Steve Head's bike shop, and he was barefoot, grease just covered in grease. In fact, I think he had permed magenta hair because it was a salon next to his store, and whenever they needed to try a new color, they try it out on Steve because he had long hair. So I just walked in and said, a friend of mine said, you might help me. And and he goes, what do you need help with? And I said, well, I qualified for the Hawaiian Ironman, but I don't have any money and I don't have a bike that's worth riding. And, you know, he just looked at me and said, how much is the Ironman? I said, it's $100. And he wrote me a check. So back in 1983, the Hawaiian Ironman cost $100 to get into, believe it or not. So I, I took that $100. I entered the race. And that was how I got into the first Ironman. Was Stephen helped me? Let's fast forward a f- few months after that. You know, I I started r- racing and doing some more races, but Stephen was an amazing person who, besides just having this little bike shop, he would watch all kinds of different cycling events and he saw Francisco Moser set the hour record on double disc wheels. And his background was in literature and history, (laughs) but he would tinker with water, skis, and skateboards. He actually had a little business before the bike shop doing that. So he went into his garage with a friend and they made a disc wheel. Uh, So the very first disc wheel, this other gentleman rode, and then I rode the next one, and all of a sudden, I started showing up at some of these races, and people are saying, where'd you get that disc wheel? And I said, well, Steve made it for me, and I was on Team Mizuno. So Team Mizuno was kind of a, a, a really awesome team to be on because it had Julie Moss, the Pontus sisters, the, they had led the Ironman back in '84, this is dating me way back. Some of the other ladies maybe have heard of these people. Julie Olson, who actually was from Minnesota also. Scott Molina was on there. Anyways, they started asking for these wheels and we thought, oh my gosh, how are we gonna start a, start making more of these because you know he he owned a bike shop. he didn't have a lot of money either. So I saw a race on the East Coast. And it was in Brattleboro, Vermont, and I decided to go out there because I saw that the first prize was a car. So I, I flew out there and stayed with uh, uh, the race director uh, or the one of the consultants for there, and he was really nice, put me up and told me what to eat. I didn't really know a lot what to do for eating back then. Also, that's another thing that's changed dramatically is is what you eat in these races, but I ate eggplant parmesan the night before, totally still remember that. And I, I fortunately, it was a predetermined time for the first male or female in this race. And the first man that finished actually took the wrong turn and missed the cutoff by two minutes. So he did not win the car. I luckily stayed on course and beat the predetermined time by five minutes so I won a 1984 Subaru hatchback. I thought I had won the lottery because that—that's a lot of money and a big prize in 1984 to win a car. So I came back to Minnesota, and people were asking for more of these wheels. So I decided I wanted to help Steve. Uh, we were—we were just starting to date, and we were getting calls for these wheels and he was making them out of a garage. So I, I thought, well, maybe I can help him. So here I was 21 at the time. I took a wheel, went to three or four banks. They thought I was just crazy. Like how in the world would this little girl start this bike business, bike wheel business? So I walked into a banker's room and and he looked at me like I was crazy, Jim. And he said, Annie, well, what else do you have for collateral? And I said, well, I have a bike. I think I have a computer. But I just want a car in a triathlon. And he's like, you, you you, have a car title? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, if you bring me that title, I'll see how much I can give you. And he gave me $14,000. And with that money, then we were able to buy more raw materials to actually start making wheels as a business. So that's the infancy of how the business started.
2: That's an incredible story. I mean, as you said, an incredible love story and just incredible entrepreneurial story. You know, it's just cool seeing how now we know what head cycling looks like and seeing how that came about. But what did, what were your roles as it, you know, as the company developed, like what were your roles in the company and how did those evolve over time? So,
3: you know, Stephen, left-hand creative, could not usually find his car keys, very visionary, uh, way out of the box thinker, which I'm completely the opposite. So, you know, once we started getting phone calls... My role was to pick up the phone, get the order, make sure the raw supplies were ordered. Stephen would generally just be making the product. So it just started out of a garage, his parents' garage, uh, with him laying up the raw materials, which were basically back then was carbon fiber and resin, you know, aluminum rim, and a hub that we had specially made. But it was, he was doing most of the the building of the product and I was doing everything imaginable else to figure out how to get that product to a customer, you know, taking notes on a piece of paper. I mean, we had no business experience, zero. I mean, absolutely no training on any of this. So it was, it was just, you kind of learn each day, you know, you, you get an order, you'd be able to buy some more product. You'd fill that order. You'd, you know, we'd have to drive the product down to the UPS station. We had no idea that UPS comes and picks up, <laughs> you know, it was just like you just, the things you just take for granted because you don't know what you don't know. So I'm more of a, what I would call an integrator. I just love doing all the other work to see this product get out the door. And that, that it was just him and I for a couple of years um, until we decided we needed to get some employees. So we were able to buy a home that allowed us to live and work there. It was it was zoned, I too, co- like commercial. So we would literally be making wheels in our pajamas, seriously. I mean, it was like, you know, it was connected to the house. So it, it's one of those, you know, you can't get away from your work for the first few years. We literally just lived and worked in the same facility.
1: And how long was it until maybe you didn't have to be making the wheels in your pajamas and that you kind of were able to look at each other and think maybe you made it, you know, like you could relax a little bit and see what you had, you know, created from this right. car title into this, right. what we all know now as, you know, a business that's longstanding and, you know, well reputable and all of these things.
3: So we, we actually in 89, uh, decided we had to move out of the house, so we we started getting you know phone calls from all over the world, but back then it was a fax machine, so what happened was uh, somebody like Scott Molina would go and race in Nice, and then all of a sudden the phone would ring, you know, from a foreign country saying I want wheels, and you know you couldn't order product at two in the morning from a foreign country, so orders started coming in over the night on a fax machine and you can't turn your fax off. Okay. So I would not, I was, I was losing sleep because I couldn't turn the fax off, but of course I needed the orders. So I told Stephen 89, we had to move out of the house because I couldn't, it was, it was, it was impossible to live and work in the same place in the middle of the night when the faxes were coming through. So I think we realized that in 1990 when we actually did get married that we had a business that could sustain, you know, a home that we could purchase and a building that we owned also. So that was kind of our next leap. We we started adding employees in 87, 88, 89, 90 is when we got married. But what also happened in 1990 is... Uh, we realized that a disc wheel you could not use in the front of a triathlon. It wasn't legal. So Stephen was uh, super creative and invented and patented um, an aero rim design. So we were the first to be on the market that had a very airfoiled shape rim and we were able to patent that. So when you look at all the deep section rimmed wheels in the world, which there are over a hundred now, because I know this, because we had to add our list, our name to the UCI listings. And I scrolled down and saw all the other wheel manufacturers and there's a ton of them, but that kind of then jumped us to another level because we could actually make spoked Arrow wheels front and rear. Some people didn't want to use a disc in the rear. In fact, the Hawaiian Ironman did not allow a disc in the rear. So we had to think of a way to, to grow our business. And it was uh, wheels that had the arrow shape. Where you are seeing so many of the other wheel manufacturers now make a wheel similar to ours? We actually were able to get an extension on our patent. So a lot of the wheels out there look like ours, but they don't fall under our patent and they will probably never be as arrow as ours. So interesting.
2: And so three and a half years ago, Steve did unexpectedly pass away. And I imagine, you know, this is your life partner and your business partner. And how? what did you learn? How did you handle that as you know, being able to take over the business and continue with the business, even with that kind of tragedy.
3: Well, there's an amazing story when he passed that, again, it's it's a bittersweet thing. i I love telling it because it's such a beautiful story. I get sad because I think of what what happened that day, but i I think it it kind of explains what what has happened over with head over the la- since his passing. So, you know, we, we've always been known for our wheels or our handlebars or components. And we've obviously through all the years have been fortunate enough to be on OEM wheels for people or a company like Trek or Specialized uh, or Diamondback. And Cervelo had come to Steve and I and they were really happy with the way our product was on a lot of their frames. But what intrigues them so much is that we mold all of our carbon right here in Minnesota. So and we're we're very green meaning that a lot of our product you 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 pop it out of a mold and it's done. Uh, in Asia and some of the other factories you you get products that need a lot of rework or sanding or painting. So Cervello had had this vision to make a, a very amazing one piece molded carbon fiber frame. And they asked us if we would have any interest of doing it. And they were not interested in that time, having that technology in Asia. So we decided that it would be something super exciting for us. We had never done anything. In fact, nobody has really ma- or you know been a main production of a one piece carbon frame. Most carbon frames in the world have seams, they have joints, uh, they have welding. Uh, So this intrigued us immensely. So we had worked on a prototype uh, mold. We were fortunate to have the tooling in house, the machinery to do our own tooling. And so Stephen and Mike machined up uh, a very scaled mold. And we were working a lot of hours to make this prototype. So the day that the Cervello engineers visited Head Cycling in November of 2014 on the 22nd was an amazing day for us because Stephen called me on the phone. I had actually left to pick up our, our daughter and said that the first piece of what our technology could do, and that Cervello was so impressed with it that they wanted to go ahead and have us start production on that frame. Never been done before; uh, it was a one-of-a-kind piece, and I I just remember as if it was yesterday because it was something that had never been done before. And Stephen loved to be creative, inventive, and he was just full of joy. So he. he, 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 he let the phone down and our last words were, you know, let's celebrate. This was an amazing day and I'm going to go out to dinner with these engineers. And, and, you know, it was, it was just joy. The next call I got was not from him. It was from an employee and Stephen had collapsed outside our facility. And, um, he spent four days in the hospital, but he never, he never woke up. What we had found out later is that he must have had a virus in his heart. There's no blockage. It wasn't a heart attack. He he had inflammation on one side, and it must have been electrical, and he he instantly died. Um, so, my final words with him were beautiful and memorable because it was so joyful for me and the company. But the next month was was amazingly difficult because not only had he passed away. My daughter Rebecca had pulled her ACL trying out for basketball. She had a major injury, and I had to pick up and move the business three mo- three weeks later. We had already signed a seven year lease in a much larger facility, and it was the middle of winter. So I just, you know, had to really dig into my faith. I'm very strong in that, and I had to believe in my faith and my family that I could pull through with this. And then I had to pick up and move everybody. We're talking, you know, 40 employees, machinery, equipment, a brand new facility. And I think I was just so overwhelmed, but there was so many orders coming in. We had just introduced the very first carbon fat bike rim to the market and had thousands of orders for those. So it was like, I didn't. It was a fog, you guys. I mean, I I don't know when you have a tragedy like that. You know, you just get up every morning and you just use your strength, your inner strength, faith, friends, family, and and just move on.
1: I think it's pretty clear that you guys not only built a sustainable business, but a sustainable family within that business for you and your community. And so thank you for sharing that because I think it's very, you know— I don't think there's words to really describe it, but it's, it's a beautiful story to hear from your perspective. And it's, it's nice to share those beautiful words that he had with you, uh, right before he passed away. So thank you for that.
3: Yeah. I think things could have been different actually. I mean, I, I think, you know, you're right. He was, he was my life partner. He was my best friend, the father of our two amazing children. And, uh, without, Like I said, the strength of my family, both of my children were in Christian schools. My daughter was in a high school and my son was in a college. And I think had we not just really leaned on each other and our friends, I think that things could have been different. But I think if my final words with him were, would have been, you know, the the frame doesn't look that good. You know, we're not quite sure. We're not sure if it's going to work. I don't know. You know, we're going to talk about it over dinner. Then then what have I carried on with the frame? I don't know. You know, but because it, it was such a powerful conversation and positive, you know, I decided that, no, we have to continue with this frame. And I couldn't talk about it for over a year because I was, it was very top secret and, and I was under, you know, an NDA and we couldn't let the world know. And we, we could only show the world what we had been working on in 2016 at the Hawaiian Ironman is when it actually released. So it was, it was one of those bittersweets.
1: And everything that you and Steve and the company as a whole has worked on is part of making athletes go faster, uh, right. being more aerodynamic you said yourself you were on one of the first disc wheels along with Scott Molina which is just so fun to think about did you you know was it you or more steve who really embraced kind of the arrow side of things or like did did either of you really you know embrace that or did you just kind of see that need for it and take your passion for business and creating these things to you know help solve the problem you know i guess how much did you really care about going faster or were you just riding that wheel Because he told you it was going to make you faster.
3: Well, you know, the thing is, is that he, he, he was such an amazing person and a mentor, and he would come to my triathlons and, you know, he'd run into the Dave Scott's, the Scott Tinley's, the Scott Molina, the Aaron Bakers, you know, and a lot of them would see that they, that, you know, I had this wheel, then they wanted the wheel. And what, what, what happened eventually is. He was one of the first people to go to the Texas AMN and Wind Tunnel and have athletes. So, you know, we would bring athletes to the wind tunnel. We actually held a wind tunnel camp. And it's, it's amazing because last Friday, somebody had sent me tapes from 1988 when we did 8889. We actually did a wind tunnel camp. And we let people come and you know we we test them and we had we had I think a dozen people one year. I mean I mean nobody nobody did this back then. We're talking in 88. So I'm getting the tapes changed so I can actually see them They're, these huge tapes that are not, I don't have the right device, so I brought him to a place to get him changed. But we need an NDA because we've got Greg Lamond, and I think Lance is in these too. So I don't know what I'm going to see because they're so old. I mean, it's, it's going to be amazing for me to go back and look at these tapes. I can't wait to see them. But I got to get them changed. But back to your side, Brian. Back to your question about aerodynamics. I mean, you know, it was, you know, Steven's desire to make people go faster. You know, he. he he was real the visionary behind what equipment can be next. I was just always there right alongside him, you know, cheering him on when we had days that were tough. And we had a lot of tough days. I mean, you can't imagine how much product went in the bin. You know, you'd try to work on something or work on a new wheel or, you know, we'd, we'd meet with other athletes, you um, you know, Levi Liebheimer, when Steven would work and and got him in those funny positions, you know, he just, he just had a real, he wasn't an engineer, you know, he had a knack for a gift that, you know, enabled him to look at a position and, and design product around it, you know, and I was just the person in the background that would be alongside him saying, yeah, let's do this. Let's keep, let's keep making this cool fast stuff. And, and you touched
2: on kind of the evolution of gear in triathlon over the years and you mentioned the carbon fat bike rims, which I've have seen the head fat bike oh, rims yeah. in a bike shop here in Bozeman. And I actually got to pick up the bike and it was so light and it's amazing. Right? right? Like yep. how can a fat bike only weigh, you know, 18 pounds, but right. can you tell us a little bit about like what you've seen as triathlon
3: gear has evolved over the years? Triathlon gear has gotten so advanced. I mean, I think about that first Ironman that I did with just round tubing, you know, no arrow place to put your uh, your water bottle. You know, with the first Ironmans I did it was just those drop bars. The, the This the geometry of the frames over the years have changed. I mean, look at, you know, the P5X that we helped with, or, you know, it has no seat down tube, you know, it's, uh, the diamond back is very similar. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's gotten just amazing what has happened for aerodynamics. And you think of all the different depths of wheels that we make. I mean, we started with a 60 millimeter depth rim and a disc wheel, but now we make everything from a 30 millimeter to a 90 millimeter. We also have had the, the three spoke composite wheel. That's a whole nother long story, but we, uh, we've had that wheel for so many years and that wheel still holds the fastest ever time trial, individual time trial in the Tour de France by Rohan Dennis. So we have that, we have the hour record, uh, here in the U S by Tom Zerbel. Cause not only do we of course love helping triathletes, but we do a lot with with era with teams you know so we sponsor uh the rally team here that's a a very amazing female and male team uh we help with a, a european women's team but to do this you have to keep evolving and what really helped us do that is you know we we helped a lot with some of the tour de france teams we helped with you know the discovery team with lance for several years and we used to get phone calls You know, it's the tour, it's the time trial, and the winds are coming 20 miles out of the side. You know, what do I, what do I use? You know, and that really helped us decide, well, we, we can't just have a 60 millimeter front wheel. We have to have all different depths or the Hawaiian Ironman. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've gotten calls from different athletes over there. And I said, the 90 millimeter front's going to whip you around in the wind. And they're like, oh no, I'm fine. You know, and then they call me up. They've been there for a week and they're like, you know, that 40 millimeter front wheel that you have, can you, can you express one of those just because you have to make product for the conditions of the races that you're doing. And I think that's why we've been at the forefront for so many years is that, you know, not only did, uh, did Steven and I, and, you know, ride, and I still do a lot of our employees, you know, are out there racing and riding also, but, we actually you're you're right. We we actually patented that fat rim. We were able to make it tubeless and we took six pounds off of a fat bike because of the design of our rim, which is a ton. So, you know, it's just being out there and and, and still enjoying to ride ride your bike, but then that's how you evolve your product and keep on top of and keep, you know, innovating is is listening to your athletes. And riding yourself.
1: And you mentioned a few of the cycling teams and people that you have sponsored through the years, but you also have sponsored some of the top women in triathlon throughout the years Gwen and Daniela, you know, to say to Susie Cheatham, I know, and being a professional triathlete yourself for a few years, do you incorporate anything from that time when you were racing into the sponsorship of athletes now?
3: You know how many rejection letters I got? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, when I, you know, back when I was doing it more as a profession, you know, you, you know, it was tough. I mean, it was difficult because the sport wasn't where it is now. And there was, you know, not as much out there for female athletes. And I, and there still is a barrier as you know, but you know, I, I feel for those calls that I get from people because I know what it felt like. I mean, you know, obviously now I can't, I can't give free product and money to everybody, but you know, it, it always pulls my heart when you get somebody young, female or male athlete looking for a sponsorship, do we, you know, what can we do to help? You know, we do, we do sponsor a lot of junior development teams, but I think because I was in that position and I know how difficult it is to make a living off of the sport. You know, when, when you, when you're at that, that number one or two spot, you know, you're, you're more fortunate, but you know, when you're in that 10 to 15 placing female or male, it, it gets tough to get to those next races. So I just feel like you, when you get to a certain part in your life, you know, giving back is, is what, what really makes me proud you know, not only do we help some of the professional females or males over the years, I think last year when I counted, we had worked along and helped a dozen nonprofits, you know, whether it was money or product. Uh, and it, it doesn't have to be just in cycling. You know, some of my my happiest days are, you know, helping out cancer survivors and, and uh, just this year, we are working alongside the Great Cycle Challenge. So I am gonna hit my 200 miles this month. In June, I had, I pledged I do 200 miles. I pledged that I would raise $500. I'm up to almost 2000, I couldn't believe it. So um, I think, you know, along with, you know, the legacy that we have here at Head Cycling, and you're right, working alongside so many amazing athletes, that to me, being able to not only give back to young athletes is to give back to your community is really what, what makes me smile each day.
2: And, and in other interviews, I believe you've mentioned having an influential female uh, coach or mentor when you were just starting triathlon. Can you, can you tell us who that was and like any key lessons that you learned from that relationship?
3: Oh yeah, this is a good one. So I, you know, I, came from a large family in Duluth. My mother uh, was the first woman that had recorded triplets (laughs) in Duluth. They were born right after me, so all the mothers out there. I mean, my mom had six kids in five years. So, you know, I was kind of the last middle child. And then my parents divorced when I was 13. And I was kind of in this area of my life of what am I going to do? You know, it was difficult being a middle child and not having, you know, a father around much. So I decided I was just going to go join a swim team, the local, you know, middle school swim team. I thought, you know, I I, I can do this. I remember going in and and swimming and and I I, I didn't think I was great, but I thought, geez, I'll, I'll make the swimming team at least. And back in those days, and they probably still do it these days, you go the next morning you look on the wall and you expect to see your name. You know, and I looked and I looked and I'm like, there's no Annie McDonald, and I just, I, I don't, I, I, don't think I broke down in tears, but in t- in, internally I'm like, wow, I didn't even make the team. You know, I'm, 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 not that good. Like, but I, I wanted to do something. I needed something to do. You know, it was in Minnesota and it gets cold in the middle of winter, so I asked my mom if I could take the bus down to the local YMCA, and because uh, I knew they had a team. So I, I walked in and, uh, I, I joined the team and I had a coach and Marilyn, Marilyn Sturm was her name. She taught me how to swim really fast. She was 10 years older than me and she was my coach. And she said, not I'm only gonna make you swim and make you swim fast. And I spent hours in this pool, uh, went back the next year and, uh, I not only made the team, I think I I broke a couple of records, but it was, it was just having the desire to learn from your failure. Like, you know, I thought I was just nobody and I just went to that Y took that bus, worked alongside Marilyn and she, she taught me how to swim fast. So it made, it made a huge difference in my life because it gave me a lot of confidence that, you know, I, I can, I can be good at something.
1: You also talked about earlier how you were inspired by Julie Moss, seeing her finish the Hawaiian Ironman, and that being one of the reasons you got into triathlon in general. I'm curious as to who you would say inspires you now, maybe in the business world, as you lead head cycling.
3: Oh, geez. In the business world. I know that, you know, you might ex- be expecting like, you know, Patagonia or, or some something like that. But, you know, I... I'm just inspired working with my workers. I mean, you know, I I have so many smart people working alongside me, and I have so many uh, other mentors just at work. I mean it it can be it can be you know my retired engineer, or I've got a, a gentleman here who used to own a bike shop. I mean, I think. It doesn't have to be some other big company. It's it's just these amazing people from all walks of like. I mean, the diversity we have here at Head Cycling, you know, I, I have a 15-year-old girl here. I have an engineer who's just learning the ropes here who we hired as an intern. But then I have, you know, other employees that have been with me over 20 years. I mean, that inspires me just to, to be able to, to work alongside them and know that, you know, we're, we're all here for the same purpose to, to elevate cycling for all these people that buy our products and, and just continue the legacy. I mean, if you could, if you could envision this podcast and just zooming into my life here for a day, you, you'd understand why I, I love all the people that I work alongside, you know, I, they, they are why I'm here, you know, I'm just so blessed to be able to, to work with them. One of the the ladies that works with me is Julie Olson, who led the Hawaiian Ironman in 1984, 85, 84. She led it until the last, I think, six miles of the run when the Pontus twins passed her, but she held the cycling bike record until, uh, Pauly Frazier came along. Wow. Um, that is cool you know, that,
2: to see her still in the industry and still very much in the sport.
3: Yeah. I mean, she's, she, I, I never beat her. The only the only day I beat Julie and she, she would, if you were her she'd, get, she'd chuckle is when she'd get lost in the swim or if she had a flat. I mean, you know, she was tough as nails. She's still tough. I mean, you know, to be able to, to sit alongside somebody who, you know, we, we were in the top 10, you know, for a year, but she surpassed me. She was, she was always faster than me. And now she's, you know, helps with a lot of the finance and the ordering. I mean, you know, I don't, I, there's lots of times when I just walk up to her and say, okay, how's it going? You know, are we going to be okay now? She, tell me what's going on. You know, those are the, those are the behind the scenes people that keep things rocking here. And Anne, you mentioned
2: that all of your carbon is molded in Minnesota, which puts you in kind of a unique position as a manufacturer. You provide jobs in the United States. And I'm sure you've faced pressure to move things overseas. And why why have you kept everything in the United States, in Minnesota? And um, like, what,
3: you know, why do you value that? Well, I, I think that Yes, I'm very proud that our carbon molding is done right here in, in Minnesota. And I think that the main reason we do it is because, you know, we, we know that we have shaped the bicycle industry since 1984. But, you know, to take raw materials such as carbon and aluminum and teach people a skill to create and build products that go all over the world, you know, it's such a a joy for me to, to take a young female or male and teach them a job skill, you know, and then they can mold that and turn the TV on. And you're right. See Lionel Sanders on the product that we make right here in Minnesota. He just won again this weekend. That guy's pretty unstoppable lately, isn't he? Great guy. But, you know, you can't imagine what that would feel like if, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't have all this to do with your hands, there's a joy that comes out of making something, you know, I mean, just to envision that this raw cloth then turns into one of the fastest products in the world. And it's right done right here. And, you know, we, we do have some partners in Asia, you know, and that's okay. You know, there's certain products that need to go on original market and their aluminum and, you know, to be competitive, you know, we have to keep some of that over there, but, you know, the quality that we have here is, is unsurpassed. You know, I mean, we years ago did have, um, cause we were having a problem keeping up with some of our carbon mold and we tried molding in, in Asia and, and, you know, if, if there was one or two products that you get and they weren't quite right you then you'd have hundreds i mean it, you know unless you had somebody checking everything so you know at first we thought it was maybe cost effective to have some of it done over there in carbon but in the long run we realized it wasn't and we just decided that you know we would stay right here and do all of our molding in house uh, we've been fortunate enough to now do all our tooling in house so we've got you know CNC machines and lathes and mills and automatic cutting machines and all the presses. And so it's just a decision we've decided to keep here. And it's very encouraging for me to, to know that I can provide jobs, 401ks, health insurance, vacations, all that beautiful things that you know you, you inspire to do if you're a business owner.
1: So Anne, it sounds like the fat bike market is glad that you guys are existing and that's kind of taking off. But I'm curious what your vision is for the future of Head in General. Where do you see it going? Anything kind of else new on the cutting edge we can keep our eyes out for?
3: Well, Eurobike is in two weeks. So we are gonna be launching some new products that are just more carbon road products. So, you know, we have I uh, always believed that, you know, our products are incredibly aerodynamic, but the quality is is really superior. So we're going to be showing some of those new products at Eurobike. Uh, the, the fat market was amazing for a couple of years. We're seeing a little bit of a taper with that now, honestly, because, you know, I think that, you know, at first people didn't know if it was a fad, but it's not a fad. It's here to stay. I am unfortunately dealing with a lot of um, Asian carbon goods. I mean, in Asia, you know you can you can get an open mold. you can put any name on it, and you can have that product delivered here to the states, um, which which is unfortunate. But it doesn't, you know it doesn't stop my vision for keeping the company moving and going forward because that's always going to be the way it is. You can't think like that. You have to think, okay, how am I going to think out of the box? And uh, we're doing with that, like I said, with some new products that we're launching. But I've spent the last six months uh, becoming women business certified. So now what that means is that if we want to diversify and, you know, I, I love the cycling industry, but we actually have had customers outside of the cycling industry knock on our door and see if we're interested in molding composites, possibly for other companies you know, we we have actually molded, uh, several years ago, we made something for the medical industry. Uh, we have one times made something for the defense industry, even though we didn't know it was. You know, so uh, my goal is to keep growing the company. So whether that's staying just within the cycling niche, and we're going to try to get more of our products uh, out there on complete bikes, or, you know, diversifying a little bit, because the... Being women business owned, I don't know for sure, but I think I might be the only female owned carbon mold maker in the U.S. I think, you know, I I'm pretty sure all the other wheel companies are male owned, or they're owned by much larger companies that are uh, from different countries, uh, and and but I don't know if I'm if you know for composites of you know, aerospace or defense or medical, if there's any other women-owned businesses. I'm not sure about that. I'm just finding out this other path for me.
2: And and just last week, we did announce uh, the first four speakers at the Outspoken Summit happening in Tempe, Arizona at the end of November, December. And you are one of the featured speakers. Um, can you tell us why you wanted to be involved with the summit
3: well, so I'm super excited to be involved with the summit. I think that it is the first one, right, ladies? Is this the first summit? Yes, okay, so first we're, time. We're pioneering something. You, you know, uh, just to be on the on the ground of something like that is super inspirational for me. But I, I think in general, I think that there is growth in the sport, and the female growth is where I see it potentially getting much larger. But there's nothing more inspiring to me because I have spoke at some other events just to be alongside so many other amazing females, whether it's, you know, in triathlon or whatever their path is. I love listening to their stories because everybody has a story. It doesn't matter, you know, where you're from or what your future brings. It's it's just inspiring to, to listen to their journeys because we all have them. But to be in a room and be at the forefront to f- with ladies like, like you to, to start something new. I mean, you know, if you don't get out of your comfort zone a little bit and think out of the box and get a little scared once in a while, you know, you're just not going to grow as a person. So I'm just really excited. First of all, you know, it's going to be warm there. <laughs> You guys picked a great spot, but just to listen to all the other ladies that are coming and listen to their path is what inspires me.
1: Well, we are super excited to get to see you in person there and I could sit and listen to your stories, I think all day. So I'll definitely be asking you for some more of those in Tempe, but thanks so much Anne, for joining us. And we know you're, you're super busy, but we really appreciate you taking the time to help our listeners learn more about head cycling and your background and all of the inspiration that comes with it. So thank you so much.
3: Oh, I'm the one that should be thanking. I just can't wait to meet both of you in person and then hopefully some of the other ladies that are listening to the podcast, we can meet in Tempe and listen to your story too. Well, Haley,
1: you better believe that I scoured the internet to try and find that triathlon she was referring to in Brattleboro, Vermont where she won the car. And I'm afraid to say, I do not believe that it exists anymore. So I'll have to skip that, I guess, while I'm here.
2: I know. I loved how she said that was a lot of money back then. And I'm like, a Subaru would be a lot of money right now too, (laughs) or any car, $14,000 worth of car. Um, that would be, you know, a pretty big payday. So that's kind of cool. It's cool. That kind of stuff was happening. And it's really cool to hear how she kind of used that and created a company, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit. And I am so excited to hear even more stories from Anne at the Outspoken Summit uh, end of November. Yes.
1: And so our listeners, early bird registration for the summit ends in two days. So act now.
2: Yes. June 30th. That is the deadline to get the early bird pricing on that. Come join us in Tempe this November.
1: Also this week, you can check out on livefeisty.com. Our lovely editor, Erin Hamilton, posted her story part two. So check that out, new this week. And Haley, enjoy your victory week. I hope it's filled with a lot of spoiling yourself. And I will talk to you next
2: week. Absolutely. The celebration continues. Thank you, Alyssa. I'll talk to you soon.
0: But my heart is in heaven why I like biking you're really moving your feet and it's fun because you can actually steer where you're going when you want to whereas in swimming and running you might have to plan ahead because in both of those things either in swimming you can run out of breath or in running you could trip and fall the Iron Women podcast is produced by Live Feisty Media. Our awesome hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Our editor is Erin Hamilton. Our social media queen is Danielle Adino. And our producer is my mom, Sarah Gross. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Leave us a review on iTunes. And have a great week of swimming, biking, and running. Bye for now.